0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are in Parshat Bishalach this morning, and we are in the third year of our triennial reading, so we're in the last third of every Torah portion. Uh, and according to Heeb Cal, uh, we are starting at chapter fourteen verse twenty six this morning. this is Shabbat Shira, the Shabbat of the Song of the sea because that's what we study this morning is the Song of the Sea so let's have somebody start at twenty six.
0: Then Yehovah said to Moses, "Hold out your arm over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their riders." Moses held out his arm over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal state, and the Egyptians fled at its approach. But Yehovah hurled the Egyptians into the sea; the waters turned back and covered the chariots and the riders. Pharaoh's entire army that followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites had marched through the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left.
1: This is the great moment, right, of crossing. So the rabbis, of course, have lots and lots and lots to say about this moment, and th- what a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to do is explain how this could happen as a natural phenomenon. So you can look it up and find lots of theories about exactly how this happens. A wind comes this way and it causes a tsunami, which causes the water to stack, and then, and then, and then. And then, and then, and
0: then <laughs> whatever
1: what, thank you, Mickey. I could not have said it better myself, whatever, whatever hey, what it story? it means nothing, it is just like the plague narrative, okay, there's a lot of iron in the water, so it turns red, and that kills all the frogs, so they're jumping out it's like. That is so not the point of this story, right? However, it happened, and maybe there were phenomena like this that happen sometimes with water. The point is, it is at the moment that the Israelites are at the water with Pharaoh coming up behind them, and Moshe raises his staff. But that's when this happens. That's the miracle not the water stacking, right? So, um, so any time someone wants to tell you about, oh, this actually happened, oh, oh, terrific. That's great to know <laughs> how it might have happened. Okay. But this story is not about the how. This story is about the when and the why it happens at this moment. That is what makes for miracles in Torah. Often it is an uh, intensification of things that we see in nature but the thing that makes it a miracle a is that it happens when Moshe raises his staff and the people need it to happen and it stops when Moshe tells it to stop. That is what makes this a moment of God being glorified by this particular action. So Midrashim abound, right, about being at the edge of the sea, right, it's not just as easy for the rabbis as Moshe raises his staff and everybody goes, right, so the rabbis at this moment have Moshe raise, he holds his arms over the sea, right, and according to many Midrashim, nothing happens, so Moshe raises his arms over the sea, And nothing happens. And so the Israelites are panicking, and they're turning to one another, saying, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And... As that's happening, one famous midrash is that Nachshon ben Aminadav, right, uh, just some guy walks into the water and um, it starts, you know, at his legs and gets to his knees and gets to his waist and then to his chest and then uh, it gets to his nose. And when the waters close over Nachshon's head, the miracle is effected and the waters part.
2: Someone pushed him. (laughs)
1: Okay, Mickey's getting a little cynical. These last few years over here, somebody pushed him. Okay, so why might the rabbis write this midrash? A midrash comes to answer a question or a problem. To encourage people to
2: go first.
1: To encourage people to go first. For a good cause. Because everybody's instinct even in the midrash is you go no you go no you go right and so to encourage us to be the one willing to go so what would cause them to want to want to write a midrash at this moment about moshe being ineffective like the miracle not happening what do they gain by writing that midrash
2: faith
1: faith
0: tell me more well you need to you want to walk in the water and you have faith that it'll it'll part before it
1: happens. And so what is that faith? so tell me about that faith business in relationship to the miracle of Moshe raising his arms.
2: A bit complicated.
1: <laughs> it's commitment, it's complicated. It takes two to dance. Takes
2: two to dance. <laughs>
1: So it takes it off Moshe to affect the miracle it's the faith it's the commitment of the schlepper israelite that affects the power right of the miraculous of the opening of something that previously had been unopened that is that is the rabbinic message because remember the rabbis are speaking to us they're speaking to the schleppers they're not speaking to Moshe yeah. So great, where's our Moses, right? Isn't that what Jews are, we're always looking for somebody to do it for us. Make it happen, make the magic. You come, you do it. I can't do it, I'm just Amy. And the message of the rabbis is, it is the faith of every Bob, Amy, Rachel, it's the faith of the regular Israelite that is what makes the opening of the sea happen.
0: It's it's all about community rising together and doing it as a community. Like in the in the song that we're going to recite, <laughs> they, as a group, they 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 spoke in one voice and sang together in one voice.
1: All right, so maybe you're not so bitter and (laughs) cynical over there today, Mickey. Um, So (laughs) there's another midrash that says um, all of the tribes start arguing, and it's the leaders of the tribes who start arguing about which tribe should go first. And the leaders of the tribes are all men. So the men are all arguing about which man should go. And at that moment, quietly, all of the women are joining hands. And then the women start to move forward with their hands joined because they have formed a human chain and they essentially push the men into the sea. Just
0: saying.
2: It's not just the fake, it's the doing.
1: So it's, so it's doing based on, on faith and on commitment, right? But we, but we have to take the actual steps, right? We have to actually walk.
2: It's like Steve Rubin used to say, children will always hear what you say,
3: but they'll do what you do. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: But my father used to say, do as I say, not as I do.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's <was> the
2: lesson. <laughs>
1: So,
3: <laughs>
1: so it opens and they, the Israelites go in and then the sea appro- comes back to normal, which means, by definition, the Egyptians are trapped right, under the water. And it says here, but the Israelites had marched through the sea on dry ground. Get right. that 's R' El Halchu Yabasha Yabasha is the dry ground. Betochhayam in the midst of the sea. So the Rabbis ask, you can't have Yabasha betochhayam. You can't have, if it's Yabasha, if it's dry, it's not in the midst of the sea. There is no sea. It's dry. So how can it be that it's Yabasha and tochhayam? It's got to be one. Or the, or the other so so the rabbis love to lift up these moments of wait, 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 wait <laughs> can't can't possibly be, and they say that uh that even you know, a handmaiden Who's experiencing this Experienced more and saw more of the divine Than prophets of later ages Because this is the moment of intimacy Where God claims God's people And takes God's people for God's self So this is a For the rabbis this is a very intimate moment They have lots of stories about As they walk through the walls of water They could pluck out whatever food they wanted Like pomegranate And like so the kids could just like reach in and get like cotton candy and like they so that, that so for the rabbis this is like the like the miracle, right? For us as a people, we experience this as a people. Everybody experiences this miracle. Everybody. Right? As opposed to sometimes where it's right select members who have certain experiences. So this is kind of a this like Sinai. Is a democratizing moment because everybody experiences the crossing of the sea. But Sinai is not described as a miracle, right? Sinai is not miraculous. It's simply the divine looking to have contact with human beings. So this this is the miracle, right, that everybody experiences together. All right, we want to go to thirty.
0: Thus Yudhei Vavhei delivered Israel that day from the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea, and when Israel saw the wondrous power which Yudhei Vavhei had wielded against the Egyptians, the people feared Yudhei and they had faith in Yudhei Vavhei and in God's servant, Moses. Ah, so Yudhei Vavhei
1: delivers them. And Israel sees the Egyptian dead on the shore of the sea. So you, you can imagine they got to take that in, that all of the Egyptians are wiped out. Remember, Egyptians at this point have chariots. So this was like tanks. It, uh, these are the tanks of the ancient world. They were undefeatable, essentially, because they're coming at you really fast. The rider is... Guarded, right? And it's they're coming at you with weapons, and so the the sight of chariots coming would have been horrifying. And you know, if you picture it, you've got your children with you, right? As these chariots are riding towards the people, and so now they see the entire Egyptian army wiped out and laying on the shore of the sea. So, you can imagine what might the response to that be? Shock. Shock.
2: Grief, too.
1: Panic. All right, now what?
2: Gratitude.
1: Gratitude. Shock, panic, gratitude. So, the rabbis have a moment where they imagine what's happening in heaven right now. So all the angels, everybody's looking at the chariots coming down on the poor Israelites who are slaves, who are running, panicked, right? They're running and the angels are like on the edge of their clouds, right? Uh Looking down, oh, no, what's going to happen? Our poor Israelites, oh, no. And then the sea collapses on the Egyptians. The Egyptians are all wiped out on the shore. What do the angels do? Yay! (laughs) And they sing, and they praise, and they cheer, and God gets really angry, really angry, and says, stop, knock it off, right? Those are my children, As well. The Egyptians are my children as well. How can you possibly celebrate what I've had to do to my own children?
0: Amy, what about the double irony? The Israelites had faith that they could cross the sea. And the Egyptians, in fact, had faith that they could cross the trees. They seem to be Israelites ahead of them.
1: Um, I'm not so sure it takes a lot of faith once the water's open.
0: Well, no, but but, but if if the Hebrews wanted faith in the river across the sea, you then have to say, well, what what inspired the Egyptians to plunge in? They too, in some senses, had faith in the miracle.
1: So again, I want to distinguish. For the rabbis, it's that the water has not opened, and God says, tell the people to move forward. Right, So for the rabbis, that's the moment that God says move forward. It's before the water has split. That's when it requires faith. When we don't see a way forward, when we think it's going to kill us, when we know we're going to drown, it always happens. Right? The, all that stuff. Right, We have to find a way to move forward anyway and it's that movement forward, says the Midrash, that affects the opening of the sea. What drives Pharaoh to... to Enter into an already open sea well, my g- my guess is is anger and fear and and retribution and revenge and pride and he 's changed his mind right he doesn 't he doesn't want to let them go they 're mine i 'm pharaoh i 'm a god i 'm the boss who do they think they are right and we see what that what that gets them right i mean because I, I think that, that lesson shouldn 't be lost on us either that when we act out of That stuff, the Torah is pretty clear, right, about what happens.
2: Where's the part about God saying those are my children too?
1: It's a midrash. It's a rabbinic legend. So it's not here. It's not in the text. So whenever I say midrash, it's a story the rabbis write where they're reading between the lines. The rabbis say that the Torah is black fire on white fire. And they explore a lot of the white fire. Right. They explore a lot of the spaces between the letters, between the words, um, as a way of keeping it alive, a way of for them, Torah is a love letter. Right? It's not a set of what did Rabbi Slater say so beautifully last night? It's not a two dimensional description of something that happened. That is not what Torah is for us. Right? It is a fully dimensional I don't know how many that is, three, four. <laughs> There's some argument about that. But but like a multi dimensional exploration of the human relationship with each other and with the divine and, uh, and so it's always evolving and it's always living and it's got lots in there that we have to read into it would say the rabbis so these moments are the moments that the rabbis imagine the angels cheering right and so the rabbis are coming to teach something remember that Israel is destroyed so right now they're victorious But by the time we have the writings of the rabbis, Jerusalem's been blown up. It was set on fire, right? We we talked about how much oxygen is, is stored in those stones. And so it blew up. Our enemies blew up Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Millions, right, affected. Dead, massacred, starving, enslaved, exiled. It's a complete destruction. So that's this is being written as a memory of victory. But the rabbis, everything they write about this moment, they're writing after we've been obliterated in Jerusalem. That's how we have to remember the rabbis seeing this. So when the, so the rabbis say, you know, the enemy is destroyed, the angels are cheering, and these are rabbis who are living among the enemy, right? Then so they're writing, and what do they want to teach the Jews about what our response should be to the enemy suffering is not so fast. They're people, too. Let's not rush right to make this about us and them and good and bad and winner and loser. Let's, 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 not, let's not rush there.
2: Yeah, it's,
0: it also leads to conflict. I mean, the, the, the uh, interpretation that one person went in it's terrific. I mean, it's a teaching point for individual responsibility,
2: but it takes away the power of God or Moses, and those two things are in conflict. Yeah, yeah, okay,
3: yeah,
1: right. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: so I'm glad I understand. That.
1: <laughs> Which is what I love about those midrashim, right? When I said, Why would they write that? What do they get out of that? Is that they want to diminish. Moshe's power and even God's power that's pretty chutzpah that is pretty cheeky they are writing a midrash that undercuts the power of God and Moshe I love that right because what they're saying is God can't do it why did God tell the people to move forward it makes no sense why why would that be the command when the water hasn't opened yet And the rabbis answer that question with, because God can't do it until they take the initiative and move forward.
2: I love that. The part that you told us about uh, thinking of the other people, not as enemies, but as people to get along with, that's very wise, because that's what we've had to do. For centuries. That's right. And that's
1: what we do. That that is absolutely true. So, like they, it's part of partly possibly self-preservation, um, but it's also important to remember that as we look at these texts, most of our history has been a people interpreting these texts who were in exile, mm-hmm. right? That we so everything we want to teach. Or everything that the rabbis are coming to teach, they're teaching to a people who are a remnant people who are living amongst non-Jewish authority and power, right? So Hanukkah is a perfect example, right? The Hanukkah story you don't see anywhere in the Maccabees and in all those texts. You don't see anything about some fire and oil and lasting for eight days. Nowhere it's a battle. And the Maccabees win. And they take back the, the temple. And they cleanse the temple. And they have a huge festival. An eight-day festival to dedicate the temple because that's what Solomon did when he built the first... Not oil. nothing about oil. That is all rabbinic. Because it made the rabbis very nervous to celebrate a victory of a small Jewish insurgency... Right, against the Seleucid Greek army and a victory, it made them very nervous to celebrate that under Rome. What happens to people who have those kinds of ideas under Rome? And so, which happened 70 AD, Rome destroys Jerusalem and exiles the Jews, right? So, so the rabbis look at something like Hanukkah and say, okay, we're, we're going to do something else here. We're going to reconstruct this holiday <laughs> because we live among very powerful Gentiles or pagans, whatever you know, the case may be, or Christians or later Islam. And so they, they change how they understand even the events described because they, they want to live, and they want to live well, and they want to flourish. And it's a whole new set of circumstances that they're living under.
2: How do the rabbis reconcile uh, saving uh, the Israelites um, getting out of Egypt, but uh, there's no saving when uh, Babylonia conquers uh, Israel or when uh, Rome
1: Anybody have an answer? So God saves the people here, but wh- but why not when the temple's destroyed? I'm so sorry. I was running so busy this morning. The Pally Post wanted to do an article. Anyway. I
2: think there's a loss of faith because um, I think what you're saying about uh, the people, the man had to walk forward into the sea. The individual has to like channel. I have faith in being held by God and he walks into the water and he is... The whole so, so, you're I said, saying? At the, time of the Babylonians that belief that you could channel the power of God and trust that it would work <coughs> even there.
1: But, but is that so? You're saying it, it's because the people lost faith that God would save them, so God doesn't save them. Something like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one possibility that it took the people's faith for God to be able to save them. And if they don't have the faith, whoop, there's nothing God can do. What? What else? What else is the classic explanation?
2: The people were decadent. They lost
1: their faith. Forget just lost their faith. They deserved it. Uh. That's the answer. That's the answer. They deserved it. All of the texts that we get in response to those calamities are written by Jews who say we brought it on ourselves. Because that's your only choice. If you ha- We've said this a million times, but I'm going to say it again. If you have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God and something terrible happens to you, the only explanation is that we deserved it because otherwise God wouldn't do it. If God is all-powerful and all-good, that, that's the only answer. So one of the three has to go.
2: I, I thought there was another answer.
1: Really? Okay.
2: I'm wrong. Uh, I, I thought the time came when God was, is no longer around micromanaging everything. Things have changed.
1: Not for people who... Oh, I know. I, I mean, we're, I'm serious. Like, not, not for the fundamentalist for who the says it, okay. it, it can't change. So us, God can't so change. Us,
0: we had, to find,
2: we had, had to find some. Of
1: course.
2: And, and to say we brought it on ourselves is not acceptable.
1: Of In course. So I
2: thought so, the explanation was... Wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. I said the only answer, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good... In this room, we've pulled at least one of those. Now we can have different answers, and we can talk about those, right? But I meant, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all good, there's only one answer to calamity, and that is that God is just, and you deserved it. So that's where the prophets go. Y'all backslid. You were worshiping Baal. You were worshiping Asherah. Don't think we don't know. Ask some people who are fundamentalists why the Holocaust happened. Oh, Yeah. Oh, of course. What's the answer? We weren't observing Shabbat and lighting candles, and they're gay people. Oh, God! So okay. there you go. So I mean, and because you, there's no other justifiable answer if you have all three of those things in place. We, as liberal, progressive, however you want to talk about it, Reconstructionist Jews, do not believe God is all powerful, all knowing, and all good.
2: Well, maybe he the all good is, is the problem because if he's, if he's abdicated responsibility i think we believe wait
1: wait 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 we believe god has abdicated responsibility
2: for, for for man to be all good or he's going to do something about it, it, it we have free will and there it, and and there are people who do bad things and he doesn't stop it no no, <laughs> it's
1: about God being all. We've never been all good. Once we ate from the tree, right. Right. And, and and to eat from the tree means you're not all good, right? Or or we could argue that it's fine, but then now you got a problem. But whatever. So from that moment, the, the, we were created with free will. Nobody's ever said humanity's all good. Yeah. It's about God. If God is all good, Rami Shapiro would say, God is not all good, God is cancer. And God is car accidents. There's there's lots that's wonderful about reality, capital R. And reality, like the ocean, can kill you. You can drown. You can get stung by a stingray and drown. You can drown and fall. So the ocean's neither good or bad, it's the ocean. God is neither good nor bad. God is God. God is all of reality, including what we see as bad and what we see as good. It is all our perspective that makes something good or bad. Cancer is not bad. Cancer just wants to survive. It wants to proliferate and live just like we do. That puts us in tension with cancer. But Right, so that's one explanation God's not all good but Harold Schulweiss who's a predicate theologian would say only that which is good can be predicated of God
2: mm-hmm.
1: everything else is outside of the divine mm-hmm. okay so some days I'm a predicate theologian <laughs> God is in the doctors God is in the knowledge that brings us cures God is in the community that shows up to hold the patient Right? God is, the, God is in all of those things that's where I locate God Okay, some days I'm a predicate theologian. Other days, I'm like Rami Shapiro. It's all what it is, and it's all God, and it's all, it's all wonderful and miraculous, and it's all a mess, right? Okay, so we can either deal with God is all good or not all good, or as I heard someone saying, God is not all-powerful. God, we believe that God does not micromanage, that God is not all-powerful, God but is part of this and this is doing what it's doing and right
2: didn't you say that uh, God was angry at the angel for, for not, you know, appreciating you know, for, not, for them not appreciating that the Egyptians were his children too yes so God uh, God encompasses all good and all evil and you know if we make judgments on things then um, God doesn't make judgments he accepts
1: uh, God killed the Egyptians Let's be clear. Okay. God murdered the I mean, didn't murder, God forbid. God killed the Egyptians. God made a choice, right and wrong. No,
2: wrong, because he wasn't happy that they cheered. You said the angels
1: But God destroyed the Egyptian army. But
2: he wasn't happy about it. He
1: had I didn't say God was happy about it, but God clearly made a choice between who deserves to live
3: and who deserves to die. So
2: during the time of the Romans, God decided that the Jews would be, you know, ex sent out
3: and Yes, yes. And
2: the Romans were good. What were the Romans?
1: Okay, so you understand now what the rabbis are trying to respond to. Now, now go look at rabbinic texts and see what they do. Mm-hmm. Go look at rabbinic texts from the Middle Ages and guess where you start to get all this discussion of the afterlife? Mm-hmm. Olam haba. When do you think we start to have those texts really flourishing? When children's blood is running in the streets from pogroms.
2: to justify the
1: So you can spend a long time reading the literature that is the rabbi's way of trying to hold both the belief in this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, just God and the horrors that the Jewish people have suffered. And the most recent one, obviously, is the spate of literature that came out of the Shoah, after the Shoah, after the Holocaust, which included God is dead, Robert, to your point. Which, God is dead, right? Rubenstein's like, you know, forget it. After the show up? I didn't
2: mean to say that.
1: God is, it, but I that's. Was, I just meant
2: to say so, the, the withdrawn micromanagement
1: Okay, it, has drawn, withdrawn micromanagement. You know, I mean,
2: he, he would stopped appearing, at least in our story, he stopped appearing. What
1: it, yes. I won't go that far. I won't go that far. I will say, by Deuteronomy, we definitely have a mood shift. And we definitely have God withdrawing more into God's heaven. I won't suggest that those authors thought God was not involved or micromanaging. Definitely. But, but definitely, yes, by Deuteronomy, there, there is a shift in monotheism and in the flavor of that.
3: And in the spate of literature, not just Jewish literature, but Shakespeare and on, Michael, uh, this is your field,
2: right? Sorry, I'm intruding on the field here. We see that conflict between just
1: retribution and great tragedy. That's always the play in humanity, in every
2: literature, from Greek and Roman and English all the rest.
1: Right, because as long as human beings have to try to make meaning right. of things, right, then you, and you have horrible things happen, right, then the question that human beings tend to ask, because we are meaning-making creatures, right. the question we tend to ask is why, which I spend most of my career saying is the wrong question. It's a bad question. Because mm-hmm. there's no answer to that question. There is, it's the wrong question. The question is, what now?
0: Hmm.
1: What now? What meaning do I make of this in my life? Who do I choose to be in the wake of what has happened? That's the only choice we have. And now you want to talk about why there, okay, that, that's another, right? I got lots of answers to that why, <laughs> right? But not the one of causality. Why? Because we're fragile human beings, We're right? We're we're fragile. We get sick, we get killed, we get car accidented, we get, you know, whatever it is, that's why. Because okay. life happens, and conflict happens, and tragedy happens. That, that's why. I saw a hand spurt.
0: I want to come at this from a completely different direction. Okay. And that is if looking at it in context and to say this is not history which I think is different from what the prophets were talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can understand this without understanding in context what happens afterwards. Because that, that's this, what I was saying. This, this, is our, no, this is our story of how we got to have meaning as a people, that, that this, whole, this whole book. Mm-hmm. And this liberation from physical slavery is not just a liberation that we would continue to live. It's a liberation with a purpose.
1: Okay. And the purpose has to be. So with let science. me be clear. We were talking about actual okay. history. Okay. well... Because this, this is history. This is history. Terrible things happen. There's an oh. enemy. This one's destroyed. That yeah. one's not. It actually happened in the Shoah. Yeah. It actually happened with Rome. So what people were exploring is if. We're talking about rabbis who actually experienced those things interpreting this story and dealing with their theology around this moment of how come they were saved here and not saved at Auschwitz. That's what we were focused on. Now we can shift if we want and focus on the meaning of the story in Jewish history. But first, I want to read you this Midrash that says, if they were on Yavasha, how could they be B'tochayim?" How could they be in the midst of the sea? Hence you learn that the sea was not split for them until they stepped into it. Mm-hmm. Indeed, until the waters reached up to their very noses, only then did the passage become dry land. Mm-hmm. Right, so look how clever and beautiful. They look at those words, yabasha petokham. How could that possibly be? It can't be both. Hence we know they had to have entered when it was Yam they went betol they went into the sea but they walked on Yabasha because once they took those steps and walked into the water then the water parted and they were on Yabasha. Right? So this is how the rabbis continue to read Torah as a love letter right? and to read all kinds of nuances into the white fire uh, between the black fire. Yes? And
2: Christianity take that it in baptism there. Come out
1: resurrected. Um <coughs> could that be I, I I don't first of all they're not resurrected, right? They are reborn. Well, they're
2: they
1: They're washed. They are they reborn. <coughs> and so that comes from mikvah. Mm-hmm. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, if you're gonna have an experience of rebirth, you have to do mikvah. You have to if you're a Jew, right? So John the Baptist is actually the one who baptizes Jesus. So some people say it was actually an eschatological movement that had this ritual as well, whatever. But it's a common instinct, I think, among humanity, what we call terrestrial human culture, meaning all human beings, you know, kind of have this uh, orientation that water is about transformation and water is about purifying whatever goes into it, if it's done in a ritual fashion. So, so it probably relates to mikvah by Jews, but even if it doesn't, Jews and early Christians had the same, you know, right, we're, we're created by the same source, you know, but we have the same pull towards rituals of water being ones that are about um, washing us clean or rebirth and renewal or change or um, all those kinds of things. And you see, see it in lots of traditions. Right? What, we do, what was that? That ritual um, that the India in India they just finished with millions and millions of people going to wash in the river.
3: Yeah, geez, yeah.
1: You've seen right? Millions and millions and millions and millions. So it's it's still a very right powerful um, ritual moment for us. In a discourse, Rabbi Nahoya said, when an Israelite woman was walking through the sea, leading her child by the hand, and the child began to weep. She had merely to reach out her hand, pluck an apple or a pomegranate from the sea, and give it to him. For, quote, God led them through the depths as through the wilderness. As they they were to lack nothing in the wilderness, so also they lacked nothing in the depths. So once again, the rabbis turn to the love letter of Torah, and they say, oh, well, if God led us through the water like God did in the wilderness, what does that mean? Well, what happened in the wilderness? God fed us in the wilderness. So it must be that God miraculously fed us when we were walking through the sea. And so the rabbis go, what would that look like? you stick your hand into the wall of water and pull out whatever you need Cheerios right for little Bobby and you know Susie gets a little ice cream
3: herring hmm? herring
1: oh. Oh. herring oh god all you have to do is say it and I can smell that smell at my grandfather's table Oh,
3: quail
1: from the air <laughs> right quail comes roasted <laughs> off a spit. You know. All right. Let, let's, shall, we get to the, shall we get to the Song of the Sea? Yes. All right. So that means we're going to turn to chapter 15. Would you take the Three, mantle? Six. So anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a long time and wants to see it, if you want to come see the Song of the Sea, mm-hmm. let me remind you there are scribal mm-hmm. traditions that have been among our people for... Mm-hmm the very long time. This is one of them. Every single Torah has the song written exactly this way. Every single Torah is written the same way anyway. Like every single Torah is written exactly the same way. In other words, this vav here at the beginning of this column is the same vav and it's the same word in every Sefer Torah at the head of this column. And the column ends with tikru in every single Torah. So every scribe writes a Torah exactly the same way. And we have a map called a tikkun, which gives us chapter and verse, but then shows us right next to that what it looks like in the Torah. So if you get lost, since there's no chapter and verse here, well, I mean, obviously we know where we are when we look at the Song of the Sea, but if you were to just look at column after column, you wouldn't know where you were. So the Jews are very smart. We make a tikkun, we make a map of the Torah. So you get chapter and verse with all the Hebrew on one side of the page, and right next to it is how it looks in the Torah, so that you can find where you're going. Is this making any sense? It took me a long time when they told, yeah, right? It took me forever to understand. So, um, so usually when we write, we, we space things differently. So if you write a document, and I write the same document, where the words are on the page is going to be different based on our handwriting and the size of our handwriting and the size of the lines on the page. Not so with Torah. If you look, you can see these very faint lines. The scribe takes a razor and makes notebook paper on every sheet of parchment so that there are faint lines that the scribe works with and they don't write on the bottom line. They make the letters adhere to the top line right all the letters are are even by where they hit the top line or go above the top line and so in every single torah scroll these are the words on this column these are the exact words in every single torah scroll in this column nobody's handwriting is different i mean their their handwriting's different but they have to make this column start with this word and end with this word Okay.
3: Can you and distinguish spaces? one Torah from another? And
1: see these, um, see these openings. Yeah. The, yeah. These are the same in every Torah as well. Man. How many? Either the, seven, nine, or twelve spaces. Mm. Um, so this word "who" in every single Torah scroll, twelve spaces follows.
2: Wow. So so what, is, what is this column, or whatever the, the, the narrow column, versus what is the wide column? Is it saying the same thing, or what's the deal?
1: So this is just, this is text, right? This is text, like Vayasu um, Chayn Bnei Yisrael, and Bnei Yisrael did so. Okay, so this is a special scribal tradition, which is the Song of the Sea. What do you see, what, 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 how, why, is it, why does it look like this? What does it make if it's written like this?
2: It's almost like a ladder.
1: Like a ladder. Like that. Waves, <laughs> Possibly waves. But for sure, look at the white spaces. Bricks.
2: Bricks.
1: Right? Mm -hmm. Why bricks? Shut up. Bert, don't say it. (laughs) (laughs) Why bricks?
2: The bricks that the Israelites made.
1: Exactly. They are redeemed. This song is celebrating the redemption from the service of Pharaoh, which was to make bricks. So you make your song about liberation from that look like bricks. Do different scribes have different styles, Amy? Can you identify a particular
3: scribe by Mm -mm. the way he wrote?
1: No, because they don't sign their work. They're not famous for how they write, but definitely they're different handwriting. But the crowns on every letter, if you can see the little crowns, can you see the crowns on these letters, these little thingies? Mm -hmm. The crowns are on certain letters. Mm -hmm. So all of the crowns are the same, Mm -hmm. right? So, So if there's a variation... It's, it's in how they form the letters, but it has to be standardized enough. So if a letter is damaged in the Torah scroll, uh-huh. you have to take a, a razor and, and scrape it off and rewrite it, or, or the Torah scroll's not kosher. How do they test whether a letter is good or bad? Like, does it need to come off? They take a child who has only learned their Hebrew letters, not words, and they ask the child, what's that letter? Mm-hmm. And if the child can distinguish the letter correctly, it's kosher. Yeah. Um, the point of that being, this, the handwriting can't be so different that you wouldn't be able to have a, a child three, four-year-old come identify it as a bet or a kaf. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's no trope in the Torah. There's no so trope in the Torah. Where do tropes come from? Are they tradition? Different. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes.
2: And different sects have different tropes? Or yes.
1: Or? Yes. And different holidays have different tropes. And, you know.
2: Uh, and so you were talking about a map
3: of the, of, of the Torah. Yes.
1: And so do you, you, as a rabbi or other rabbis, do you recognize each column then?
3: <laughs> n- n-
1: no, you look at the map. You open it, so if we, let's say this wasn't here because I, I know what that is, yeah. right? But if you're just looking at a page like this and you're like, where are we? Yeah. Exodus, Leviticus, yeah. where are we? Yeah. Um, you go to the Tikkun, you, you try to figure out, okay, what's happening, yeah. right? So Moshe's standing before the people, v'kach, right? or Miziknei, Yisrael, take from the elders of Israel. Okay, I know what that's about. So I know we're somewhere in, right, Exodus, and I want to get to this part about where Moshe is called by 70 elders. I find that in the, in the map. I see where it says chapter and verse, I find, oh, Moshe takes the 70 of Israel. Then I look over and see, what does that column look like in the Torah? Then I go looking for the column that begins with this word and ends with this word. Wow. Does that make sense? Okay. That's what the tikkun is. You go to chapter five of Exodus and see how it looks in the Torah, but then you have to go find it. There's no page numbers in the Torah. Right. There's no, you know, the only way you can do it is to, but you you say, okay, vayalinu. Oh, there's that one. How many columns do I have to go from this one to get to the seventy elders' business? And then you just count: one, two, three. They're the same in every Torah.
0: This line is always that line.
1: This line is always that line in every Sefer Torah in the world. The font is the
0: same.
1: The font is similar, but the size is, a, is similar enough that all these words can fit on this line in every Sefer Torah in the world. All right, somebody grab the Bible. Here, grab this Cecile. Who's got a loud enough voice? Who, who wants to read the English? I'm going to start here. And um, the Song of the Sea is sung every day um, by observant Jews. Uh, and so I grew up singing the Song of the Sea every single day. Um, and so, so I know it by heart. <laughs> and um, I was trying to show off for Judy last night and got about here and forgot.
3: Aww.
1: And I went, darn. So um, so this is how we sang it every morning. And uh, Elena's
3: going to read the... Uh, English as Yashir Moshe Ulene Israel Tashirazot Ladonai by Yom Rule Moor Ashira Ladonai Kika Oga Suspirohovo Ramavayamazi Vizim Ratia by Lishua Ze Livian Vehu Elohea Viva who Adonai Shmil Hamad Adonai Shimo markever parvag hello yarava i'm ahead of you now yarava yam umi khar shalli shat tu bo become so till mo yar dubim meem suka mo aven yamin kha adonai Nidari ba ko akh yamin kha adonai ti'at so ye over of gion kha taros kam kha tshallah (laughs) Yochle mo kakashu va-ruach ha-pecha Nere mu maim nitzvuk mo ne-nozlim Kafu te-amot ba-levi-yam Amar oyev Erdofasi-yegachal dak-shalatim lemo Nefshichari-charbi Torishem o-yadina Shavta-bruchacha Kisam o-yam Tzalilu ka-oferet adirim mikamo ba-elim Adana Mi kama chane darba kodesh, nora tehilot osef ele Nati yemincha tivla emu aretz nachita bechastecha amzuga alta nehalta beoscha el neve u amay mirgzun chilachaz yoshvei plachet hazni fralu feidon el emuav yochurim Namogu Koyoshwe, Koyoshwe Kinaan Tipolaleham, Alehem Fahad Big Dol Zoroha, Nid Muka Avenadya Aboram Ha Adonai, Adya Voram Zukanita Tiva Emo, Vatita emo, Beharna Kalatha, Machon Lishitacha, Paalta Adonai, Mikdash Adonai, Konanu Yadeha Adon.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillet, Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website www.ourki.org.